This episode of This Week in HPC is sponsored by Data Vortex, a supercomputer for the hard problems. DataVortex.com. This Week in HPC. Exascale Bill faces uncertain future in U.S. Senate. And HPC gets in the entrepreneurial spirit. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everybody, and thanks for listening in to another episode of This Week in HPC by Madison Snell, and that's Michael Feldman. Michael, here in the United States, it was uh, election week. We had yeah. the midterm elections for Congress, always a, a big topic, and I happened to be in Washington myself the day after Election Day. Oh, wow. So kind of uh, interesting stuff here, and we've got a, a bit of an effect on the uh, HPC space, right? Yeah, certainly a possible effect. Um, of course, I've been following the news. You found out that the Republicans uh, took the Senate away from the Democrats, who have held it for uh, for nearly a decade or more, and that's going to change a lot of things. But most importantly, it's going to change some of the uh, subcommittee uh, heads uh, across the board. There, in fact, all of them probably, because they're all now run by or they're all headed by Democrats because they're in the majority. And come January, there will probably all be replaced with. Uh, Republicans of one sort or another. And most notably for the high-performance computing market, we look at the Senate Subcommittee for Space and Science, and look who's in line to take over that. It is <laughs> Texas Senator Republican Ted Cruz, who is a notorious climate change denier. Yeah, he's the ranking member on the minority side right now, uh, so he will be the logical choice to be the chairman of the uh, that subcommittee on science and space come November. And like you said, he is a climate denier, and he makes no bones about it. Um, and anybody who's familiar with American politics, uh, Ted Cruz is, is quite the figure, and uh, he's got a lot of stances that are basically anti-science. And uh, this is this is part of it. And if he becomes the head here, he's going to have a lot of control over um, some of the policy and, and uh, authorizations, especially for uh, agencies like NASA. Well, he's been quite public about his view that he doesn't think that there's data that supports the concept of man-made climate change, and that he thinks that NASA should not be studying climate change. Now, NASA has been one of the foremost uh, researchers, certainly in this country, of climate change for the past several decades, going back to the 1980s when they first released evidence that the Earth was warmer at that point in 1988 than it had ever previously previously been. And then I remember going back to when I worked at SGI in the 1990s, and NASA had large shared memory systems from SGI, and they completed the first 100-year-long climate forecast at that point. This is in the days before the Earth simulator, which then picked things up in other countries and kept moving. But, but NASA, particularly at Ames Research Labs, has always done, well, always in that time frame. Since then, they've, they've continued to lead in long scale climate research. I, I think it'd be a blow to have that taken away. Oh, yeah, sure. Because a lot of what, what NASA has been doing over the past few decades has been in that area. I mean, the, the space program itself has soldiered on, but the funding there has been cut. There's been no huge programs like there were you know, in the in the, in the 70s and the 60s and, and so on for, for large-scale space programs. So um, they have made their name with, with climate research, and a lot of the supercomputing resources uh, are devoted to that. Uh, so if, 
if you know Ted Cruz does take this over and takes this uh, takes it sort of in a different direction or influences the the Senate enough to take it in a different direction, uh, things could change dramatically for NASA and for climate change research in this country. Now, no word there on Ted Cruz's beliefs on whether he believes in space, or <laughs> things like the Big Bang or heliocentric cosmology. I, I really don't know his stance on those things, but yeah, uh, I, presumably he wants NASA still focused on space. Maybe uh, he might reduce funding there as well. Well, it's funny you should mention that because, I mean, just a couple of months ago on the House side of the Congress, um, uh, Republican Randy Holtgren of Illinois, uh, he introduced a bill, which actually was passed in September, uh, the American Supercomputing Leadership Act, in response to the, the Chinese ascension, with, especially with Tianhe-2, the, the new supercomputer there, the one that leads the, the current top 500 list, to sort of react to that and, and form a, a policy or, or an effort here to get our exascale program back on track. So a bill was passed, it was H.R. 2495, uh, by the House, and it had bipartisan support there, and it's now sitting, waiting to be taken up by the Senate. Now, there's, right. there's a lame duck Senate right now until January, until the new uh, Republican leadership comes in. And, and if, if everything was normal, uh, it should get bipartisan support in the Senate as well. But now you see with, uh, with some wings of the, of the Republican Party uh, headed by people like Tom or Ted Cruz uh, in charge, uh, it, it does make you wonder what could possibly happen to some of that, some of the, or that particular uh, leadership act. Well, yeah, this is essentially a very important bill, this H.R. 2495, which is informally becoming known as the exascale bill that's going to define this country's investment in exascale computing. What does that constitute? Who's, what are the facilities that are going to support it? But this exascale bill, as much as it's passed the House, it in the lingo of schoolhouse rock, it is still only a bill, and it's sitting there on a lame duck Capitol Hill. And, uh, you know, what things a lame duck Senate will take on, I think, will be limited to things that do have popular bipartisan support. I think it's questionable whether this has that kind of uh, uh, inoffensiveness to both sides in order to sail through. Now, one piece of information that I'm starting to pick up on is the notion of whether climate change, to the extent that it's a research area that, that's influenced by exascale, might get recast in this context as a national security issue. Uh, and you're talking about H.R. 249 five being introduced by the Republicans in response to Tianhe 2, which was introduced by the Chinese defense uh, groups. If we can really look at uh, exascale, not in terms of things like climate and energy, but in terms of defense, then you might get more Republican support behind it. Yeah. I mean, I think that is possible, but I think, I think there's such a bad feeling on the Republican side with uh, climate change and climate research now, that if these two things become associated, I think the bill's in trouble. Now, it just could sail through. Nobody's going to mention what exascale is for. I mean, we, we all know uh, that one of the sort of the killer applications of exascale is climate change uh, simulations and modeling, but uh, it, it's not necessarily common knowledge, but it, 
if it gets out, it gets around, and this gets put forward as something that's going to propel climate change research, there could be problems of this bill ever ever passing the Senate and getting to, to the White House. So two questions. One is, will it get taken up in the Senate during the lame duck session before the new uh, senators come in and take office? If it does, will it pass? I, I think either... Now, probably if there's any sense that it won't pass, you don't even introduce it, and then you wait till the new Senate comes in and take your chances. So it's passed the House. That's the good news for the industry, for exascale within the United States. But uh, definitely an uncertain future there. And we should just mention, this bill does not authorize money uh, for the exascale program. It just authorizes the DOE, basically, to take up the program to start good point. specifying good point. the program that needs to be done to bring an exascale computer to fruition uh, in some time frame. So there's, there's more work to be done, but this is at least uh, the start to, to actively uh, put that on the DOE's table and to get them uh, uh, very, very much actively involved in, in the program. Okay, Michael. Well, also this week in HPC, you know, we're talking about starting up big initiatives. Startups really at the startup side down at the low end is going to be a topic in New Orleans, not as a formal part of the supercomputing agenda, but in a separate startup HPC initiative, a, a little get together put together by a few noteworthy people in the industry to talk about entrepreneurialism in HPC and what that takes. Yeah, which is always it's, it's a fascinating subject to me because you see some of the most interesting companies in the industry coming up with HPC solutions, and and uh, you know we know from experience what a tough road it is and, and what all the barriers are for for small companies to break into IT in general, but to break into this area in particular, it's not it's not the mobile space, it's not the it's not the, the sexiness of the internet area. So you you need. Uh, you need a, a certainly a good technical story, but you also need a good marketing story. And one of the things I like about uh, this agenda, in conjunction with with SC14, is that it goes through some of the, the the challenges and what needs to be done if you're an entrepreneur and and want to start up a company in this environment. It's it's not just about, or it doesn't give. Uh, it's not just about the startups themselves. It's about the process that, that needs to take place. I'm, I'm flattered that, to say that we're going to be involved, that I was asked to, asked to speak at the at the get-together myself, give my views on these things. I think predominantly as an analyst, more so than as an entrepreneur, although we've gone through our own starts ourselves, I think it's nothing like the actual engineering startup that we, you know, we're as a service and intelligence, uh, you know, we, we're not actually building anything where you, we need a lot more venture capital. And, and I think that's the big challenge that you're alluding to in this industry, that the venture capitalists are going to look for a, a not, not a solid return, but a huge return, right? What, what's the big discontinuous market that we can look for? So they, they look to things like cloud and mobile and, uh, uh, and apps and what's going to really take off. Now, the one trend that I think does speak well toward this is you can get people excited about big data. Right. And to the extent that you can build things that are good for one or the other, I think it's a side door that you can open and say, yeah, it's, it, it does high-performance computing and big data kinds of workloads. And big data, in this sense, becomes a an actionable buzzword for the, for the venture capitalists who will say, ah, here's the breakout market we get to go after. 
Yeah, I, th I think that's definitely the case. We see startups doing that now, and we even see established companies in HPC taking on that that mantra as well. Um, but you know, when, when investors really look hard at some of these companies, it you know they're they're no, it's you know it's not going to offer like the big returns that you'll see of something like you know the Facebooks of the world and things like that 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 all of a sudden become you know multi-billion-dollar uh, properties after a few years. So it it it's it, it is messaging, but it's also it's it's a tough a tough road to establish your your startup in this in this climate these days. One thing I do like about this startup is its focus on connecting to STEM, the science, uh, technology, engineering, and mathematics, and how do we attract more people into STEM careers in general? Yeah, I think that is a big part of it because a lot of a lot of the uh, a lot of what's missing in in HPC is sort of the expertise needed to sort of drive some of these uh, companies and to drive the technologies. So STEM is obviously a big part of this, and and we don't really have the job breadth or the career depth that we'd like to see in this country and in others to sort of support some of these uh, these new ventures. Well, it's an important topic for for the industry in general for high performance computing specifically. Uh, you know, we're going to be doing next week obviously a big look ahead to this whole supercomputing conference, what we're doing there. This is not really an official part of the conference, but I'm, I'm certainly going to go by and take a look. I think it's an important topic. Very good, and good luck with that. I, I, that looks like a, a good lineup, and I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing about it. And you can find out more about the Startup HPC venture. There is a website at www.startuphpc.com. So we've got that to look forward to, but we got one more week before we head off to New Orleans, <laughs> Michael, and I, I'm sure some of the, some other big news stories are going to start leaking out in advance. Yeah, I think so. I think we'll, we'll start hitting the, uh, the news cycle pretty early, and then we'll have some some hopefully big uh, stories to, to start us off before we head off to New Orleans. It's exciting. Thanks, everybody, for listening. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. 